0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Last Line is a completely free podcast that takes a lot of time, effort and hard work to make happen. So if you'd like to support the show, then please head over to patreon.com forward slash the last line. Thank you. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good whatever time you're listening to this podcast. My name is James Alvan, and welcome to episode twenty of the Last Line and part two of my conversation with Richard Porter. If you haven't listened to part one of uh, this conversation, which uh, was episode nineteen of the podcast, then why would you click on an episode that was called part two? I mean, it's like people who watch the second film in a series before watching the first. It, it makes me feel a little bit ill. So uh, if you haven't listened to part one, then please do go and listen to part one. Um, but equally, if you haven't listened to part one, you should be able to follow part two fairly easily. Um it's just you're lacking a bit of extra context and uh and part one's interesting and entertaining anyway so you should listen to that as well um if you've listened to part one you'll already know who richard porter is i'm sure you know who he is anyway but uh he is a motoring journalist uh, script editor on uh top gear and now the grand tour uh he is the writer of the book and on that bombshell um which delves into the production of the top gear the 13 year top gear run um, and all the behind the scenes uh, antics that went on and uh, how the show got made he's also the author of the book uh, how to be an F1 champion which is available in all good bookstores as we speak Um, and he is also the one half of sniff and smith a youtube series that uh he co uh makes co makes that's not a thing that he makes with fellow motor journalist johnny smith and he is also the founder of sniff petrol the car website and blog um so without any further ado let's get back into it with mr richard porter uh we talked about sort of the reliant robin sketch and and, and sort of there was the you know we have to sort of drip feed information into it to make it feel slightly justified yeah so is there a Because Top Gear seems like, and The Grand Tour, seems like, I don't know how to phrase this without sounding like, well it seems like you don't, you're not really bothered about everyone's opinions, you're just sort of making the show you want to make a lot of the time. I don't know how true that is. And I don't know if I phrase that very well because it makes you sound like you just... Well, don't care, which is obviously not true. Well, I
1: mean I'd say there was there was a, a little bit of arrogance in there. I wouldn't deny that. Molly, please stop growling at the chair. <laughs> um <laughs> Doc, what is wrong with you? Um so in fact that might be someone ball? outside. No, I think it might be someone outside. It's not she doesn't yeah. normally growl at chairs. That would be a new uh, and bizarre development. I didn't know if it was the uh the ball. No, to don't mention the, the B word. <laughs> She unless she's gone nuts. I used to have a friend whose uh, dog uh, used to bark at the oven. Her parents' dog and her mum was French, and the dog spoke French. Right. So every time you go, she put the oven on, and the dog was like, You're was <laughs> It's like yelling at the dog in French. It was incredible. Um, yes, we were a bit. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I suppose we kind of had the courage of our convictions that we thought we were doing the right thing, and and then people started watching the show, and that I suppose. It vindicated that, and and then you know the show became this ludicrous behemoth, and mm. we we ended things sort of. I mean, you know, the, the popular figure bandied the like realms three hundred and fifty million viewers worldwide or something, and uh, that I think that's why we used to be deliberately self-deprecating, and we used to work out of crappy places, and we used to sort of try not to become too. Mm. Bloated and pompous was because it would be a bit easy to do that and to start going well. You know, we're one of the biggest TV shows in the world, but if you have to go and you know make it out of a a shabby office, our airfield was particularly manky, and it sort of and it was deliberately so. And our our exec producer Andy Willman, used to be absolutely militant about that. They they threatened to put some new carpet in, and he, he, (laughs) in quite strong terms, told them that that was not happening (laughs) because and it was part of his theory, which I think was absolutely right to keep it all. Mm. a bit grounded as much as you could um but yes we i, I suppose didn't care what people thought i guess I mean, the question i, I was i
0: was i was sort of working towards was is did did the expect did the expectations of of the audience ever weigh on you especially like when you were coming out with the grand tour um and oh, i don't know what sort of which stage yeah. you joined the grand tour how sort of set up it already was before you Uh, Yeah, it was it was up and running, but like, how sort of
1: you know are you conscious of? Well, that's a funny one because I we used to read uh, feedback online. I mean, I did you know, in the sort of usual places. If you're into cars, there's a big website called Pistonhead, which Mm. has got a very active forum, and they, you know, they would would just dissect the show. There was a, there is a a website called Final Gear, which is a dedicated um, Top Gear, Grand Tour, Fifth Gear, kind of car telly uh, forum. And, um, yeah, there's various other places. Twitter obviously sort of became a thing while we were making the show. So it was easy to sort of get some feedback. And I suppose, as a team, our views on how much you read that varied. Richard couldn't bear to read anything; it just, right. it just couldn't. It, it really, I don't, he just, he always sort of admitted he wasn't built for it. He just couldn't. Criticism would wound him more than he would like to let on. Um, James used to just again this sort of childish, slightly spiteful way that we used to carry on James one of James's ways of winding Richard up if they were just bored and they were by a computer was that James would show how he was impervious to criticism by starting to type in his own name to google followed by Iza and then a range of swear words <laughs> so sort of starting with twat and then building up to the you know the big one and And then hitting return and going, oh, oh, not many there. And then feigning disappointment that no one had called him a sea bomb in Googleable history. Uh, And uh, while while Hammond sat there going, don't, don't, don't do it, don't do it, don't do (laughs) it. it. You won't like it. I'm warning you, you won't like it. Because one day it'll come up positive and you'll find something, and someone will be horrible to you, and it'll really upset you. And James like, no, it doesn't bother me. I quite like it. I'd like it if someone called me it. Uh, Um, So that was that was one extreme or two extremes of dealing with um, online feedback, but. Um, I, I, I mean I always found it quite interesting because it, 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 I, th- I have my website Sniff Petrol I, I, I think a couple of times I've done stories on there kind of slightly mocking the way that a typical discussion on Top Gear would go which is someone saying oh I quite liked it and someone else would go what are you talking about that was awful it was so scripted and then someone else would say well, of course, you know it's just an entertainment show now. It's not about cars, as if they'd just thought of that and no one else had noticed that, even though it was sort of you know, been an observation for ten years. And, and so it would go on. There were sort of certain ways right. in which people would always discuss the show. Um, and you, uh, as long as... I think you could quite easily tell when we'd, we'd got it wrong because the negatives would vastly outweigh the positives. Um and, and generally I think as well when you do stuff like that sometimes you just have this lingering feeling in your gut you know something's not good I right. mean sometimes you yeah. know something's not good there's not even a gut feeling you just know it's shit we've accidentally made some shit and it's like <laughs> that did happen a few times and I think sometimes when you there's there's other things you sort of go I'm not sure this is our best work and but then I got a bit of flack I had a few people I, I didn't like the um Topic is special when we went to India. I just thought that the premise mm. was contrived, I thought there was too much set up and, and we were asking people to believe that certain things were real when they basically weren't, and it was just all a bit flimsy right? I mean I you know, I haven't watched it for years. I I but I'm it's not one it of often. the
0: ones that gets repeated a lot.
1: With. No, although I we were staying with some friends last year, and their kids had the telly on, and it came on, Dave, oh, right. and I had to ask them to turn it off because <laughs> I couldn't bear it. It wasn't I couldn't bear to watch it so much as I also couldn't bear to watch it with with other people in the room as well because I, I sort of felt if this is as bad as I remember, it's going to be this awkward sort of thing where I'm I'll mm. feel that the people will go, "Do you have you made this then?" And I'll be like, oh, "I didn't know much to do with it," but um, and I sort of knew that was a bit ropey from the off but then I slagged it off in, in my book and I had a few people going it wasn't that bad I liked it and mm. then they were sort of a bit wounded as if it was like I was kind of you know essentially criticising their taste and judgement it's like fine if people liked it then yeah, well we good. but I sort of feel it. I had this feeling that that was never particularly good um, but you can't get too so what I was going to say is well, you know, sort of shenanigans and japes with James and Richard. You know, James Googling himself as a laugh, but Jeremy was, was I think, used to uh, read online feedback way more than he let on. And sometimes he would let on, but he would oscillate between... Because the classic thing was they'd come in on a Monday after sherping out on a Sunday night, and they would come in on a Monday morning to the office, because we would do the voiceover on a Monday. And Jeremy would come in, and, and you know, if... If it was the last night's show had been a success, not just in terms of viewing figures, but he'd come in and go, he'd go final gear, love last night's show, you know, and he'd be full of beans. And then sometimes he'd be like, well, we really pissed off final gear there. And then, but then sometimes it was almost like he'd he'd, he'd make it seem like that was a sport, you know. So it's like we've got to, you know, we can't just appease the fan base. Was his logic. And he, another one of his little sort of, mottos was, um, your biggest fans are also your harshest critics. He was like I remember him going, look, if you went to a Led Zeppelin forum, you know, the, the ones who were really nitpicking about Led Zeppelin for the album and the ones who are the hardcore fans because they're obsessed and it's the same with us. And it's like, are you comparing us to Led Zeppelin? That's really weird. <laughs> but he had a point, yeah, so yeah. The people who love you the most. That was one of the things I did on my website, so It was a sort of spoof column for an American Top Gear fan because it, it seemed like a lot of the time the, the American fans were particularly sort of devoted. They, I think because it was like a little bit of a... You know, it was an obscure show over there it wasn't on broadcast TV mm. you had to seek it out so it felt like you were in this sort of little club so it felt special I guess and, you know sort of something you bond people together but then they, they seemed to feel very let down when we didn't deliver what they wanted and I did this thing on, on Sniff Patrol. this spoof this, this guy going I hated this season it was awful it was almost as bad as season 8 which I also hated why can't they make it more like season 10 which I hated <laughs> Jeremy seized on this when I published it, and used to that he used to do that a lot. Yeah. He would just repeat bits of that back to me, just going, "Oh, he's one of those people who wants us to make it more like season eleven, which they also hated." And and there was a little bit of that, you know, the mm. the, the hardcore fan base um, wanted perfection from us, and and wanted, I don't know. I mean, it's always the thing is, one person's idea of a perfect mm. show like a perfect song or a perfect album will be different from another's but they both claim to be fans so you can't you could tie yourself in knots trying to please everyone yeah and so we did have to have the courage of our convictions to some extent Um, there's an interesting one in the grand tour when I started in the office the first script I saw which had already been written and which was ready to go and shoot I think that week was the thing we put out in the second episode of the first series where they went to this um, military training range in Amman and now, in terms of scriptedness, that was mega-scripted. That, yeah. was, that was pretty... much. Me- I, yeah, yeah. it, it was, I was going to say it was scripted like a movie. It wasn't. There was leeway to ad-lib, and it's got one of my favourite ad-libs in it, when, when <coughs> James has shot all the passengers on the plane, dummy passengers. Um, and when, uh, yeah, when he's suddenly becoming really Republican and about the, the lookalike of the Queen and stuff. And there, so there, was, there, were, there were quite some ad-libs in that but that show went down really badly because it was so different to anything we'd done and it was so obviously set up but, mm. and it had no cars in it until the second half and people hated it
0: it was, a, it was a sort of a weird one but uh, the, the thing the thing mm. with I think like do you think that would have gone down better or would it might have gone down worse conversely but like do you think it would have gone down better if it was in the first episode of the Grand Tour, so it's like uh, we're yeah, going mean, to just
1: do more of this sort of stuff. Well, that's—I mean, that's the thing. It was—it was never going to be the first episode because that was always going to be those three hypercars because mm. that was sort of unfinished business from the old show, um, and also, you know, we used to put quite a bit of thought. And, and Andy Wilman, our producer, particularly used to just to agonise over this—the uh, the, the sequencing of a series. Well, what mm. you put where and it's changed a bit, but sort of pre-iPlayer, when we were doing Top Gear, you would put a strong but not your best show as the first programme of a new series. On the basis that you wanted to come back swinging, but you didn't want to waste good material, or the best material, on the first show, because we always assumed not everyone was watching, they'd have forgotten it was on. Mm. I mean, iPlayer obviously changes all that, and Amazon, it's like it's on demand, but that was the logic back then, and that was it, so we were sort of... I mean, I'd be, you know, I I don't know that whether in the new Top Gear they still subscribe to that theory. it, it is hard to sequence series. We definitely wanted to put those hypercars out first episode of the first Grand Tour because that was a fan base move. That was settle people down, settle on the basis that our hardcore, the nucleus of our fan base, has always been car fans. They came yeah. first, and though we might have tried their patience and pissed them off a little bit over the years, we hope that they're still sort of the car fans are still there because it's almost habit, and they'll stick with us. And every so often we have to you know, acknowledge that. And, and so it was like, let's settle people down with solid, absolutely solid, but comfort food. It's three amazing cars. It's on a mm. track. The, the, the presenters are on good form. There's a bit of the back and forth, and they're jipping each other, but fundamentally this is quite a car-y show. But then let's show that this will be something different in the second episode. So, and in retrospect, that was too. Too soon, too or? soon. If we'd have buried it further down the run, I think people would have gone, Okay, this is mostly business as usual. Yeah. But occasionally they're just going to do something a bit spiky and a bit unusual. But yeah. And that's okay. But when you put it show two, I think it freaked people out a little bit. Um, but I remember getting the script for it. The director, the guy who's directing it, showed it to me. So Jeremy's written this. Um, he's, he's happy he signed it off. You know, it's, it's, it's something he's wanted to do. Um, so, I don't think I didn't even ask Jeremy about it because the director, I don't think he he, he wants anything changing on this. He's, and it's kind of, I've kind of blocked it all out to shoot it now. So, you know, don't muck it up. I remember reading it and going, This is fucking nuts. Mm. He's lost his mind. What is he doing here? I mean, what? This is just self indulgent nonsense. It's like, we can't, why are we doing this? Which I said to the director, and the director went, I think it'll be good. And I was like, do you well, I don't but I'm not gonna you know I don't just start back, and I can't I was like, I don't want to rock the boat, and i that item when it turned out, I really, really liked it right and again, it's one of those ones where you have to ask the viewer to accept it's going to be a certain thing, yeah, this will not be very car-y at all, and this will obviously be quite structured and set up, but it's those three idiots that you quite like yeah. What say you? Just roll with this one and see where it goes. And, and I think that was the thing. It was it was too unexpected that people just went. Oh You know what are you doing? Don't why why would you do this? And
0: I, I wonder I, if going back and watching it because I've have only seen it once when I, when the episode well I was came going to say out. I, wonder I going to back and watching it again.
1: If you watched it again, I wonder if I mean you could well just go. No, nope, it is still dog <laughs> shit but I, it's one. Of, it's funny enough, it's one of the ones that I, because I used to have to watch the films over and over because I would be doing the voiceover uh, and, and sort of tweaking all that and putting time codes in and stuff and, and then I used to have to watch everything on the Grand Tour again because we did this thing called X-Ray, you know, you can get trivia up on screen mm. on, on your Amazon device and... Um, so I'd have to watch the whole shows again. So I used to watch stuff over and over again, and it was always a mark to my mind of how good a film was if I could bear to watch it again. Or if I was like, by the the final watching to do the X-ray, I was just like, oh, God, it's this bit again. I can't bear it. Mm. Um, And I really enjoyed re-watching that one. I, I just thought it was funny and silly, but, yeah, it's a bit weird. I'll be honest, I sort of thought maybe, having got my head around it, that maybe on the Grand Tour we would do a little bit more of that, that we would do a bit more kind of randomness yeah. and things that people didn't see coming. But I think that we got so stung by the reaction to that one. Because that's what it was sort of suggesting, I think, by mm.
0: especially, like you said, by putting it so early, yeah. is that it is sort of suggesting, like, well, it's not always going to be yeah that car thing yeah. that you're... Necessarily, ex- I think there were cars in it. Eventually, that yeah, film.
1: they they then got a um, how do S eight as a getaway car, yeah, um, and there was a was there a lorry, yeah, there was a lorry. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. It, it was hardly a car. <laughs> so, <laughs> and certainly compared to as well, three three hypercars zooming yeah. about, you know, where they're talking about lap times and things. So, um yeah, I suppose. That isn't. I mean, excuse me. But back to your original point about uh, sort of courage of convictions. I suppose that that's an interesting example of having courage of convictions and going, we're going to do this. People won't see it coming. It's totally unexpected. It's not something we've done before. But hey, let's try it. Yeah. And having that confidence that we could get away with it, but then actually sort of retreating from it afterwards because the reaction was. So generally negative, even though, and we've all agreed, and I've talked to the presenters about this subsequently, and we've all agreed, and Jeremy particularly, it's like we, we really like that film. All right. So we've sort of got still that sort of courage that we, we did the right thing. On, yeah. You know, last nice thing. Like I said, I thought on paper it seemed like it was ludicrous, but it sort of had something in the, in the final cut yeah. that it, I think we got away with it. But we did retreat from... That sort of thing. So, obviously, you know, I suppose... I hope that shows we weren't so completely arrogant that we just went, well, they're all wrong. Everybody's wrong. I yeah, think if you, if you look on Amazon, I, I can't... Have, I, the, you know, each show has a rating. Yeah. I think that's got the lowest rating right. of anything we ever did on the Grand Tour in the, in the first three series. But it's interesting, like, that you...
0: You did sort of rein it back a bit afterwards mm. because, like, you didn't... I don't know you, it's never seemed like the kind of thing you guys do is like and obviously I'm not privy to all the behind the scenes stuff so it's probably happens a lot more than I think but especially when you get into like the area of like controversy and stuff like that you mm. were never a show to be like oh we're really sorry that we offended you there
1: um, yeah there was the <laughs> you probably should have been a few more times a little bit more contrite I don't know but I think one of the uh, misconceptions about Gear in its heyday was a, a sort of deliberate attempts to be controversial. Yeah. And and there really weren't, you know, sort of... I mean, <laughs> I don't want to say it was always Jeremy, but it was very often Jeremy. I And of course, there was that whole thing with Mexico, which was actually Richard. And I think a lot of that, that was a really was weird... It, so was it
0: thing. actually
1: Richard... Or was who said it said the controversial? Yeah, it was Richard who thing. said it.
0: But was it um, was that? I mean, I don't want to put your, your head on the floor. <laughs> but like, was it like scripted beforehand, or was that like a like a sort of strange ad libby moment? Or? It was
1: well. So the way that we used to write the news segment was we would sit in a room with a load of press releases spread out on the mm. floor and newspaper cuttings, and we would just try and come up with stuff I wanted to talk about and there was this press release about this new Mexican sports car and sort of from there the way we used to write it was you know sort of someone would pick something up I mean that's how the Dacia Sandero thing started James genuinely just picked up this press release about Dacia Sandero started reading it saw it was a little bit boring and just to get the attention in the room went hey everyone I've got some good news here and and everyone stopped and went what is it and he went the Dacia Sandero is going to build with a 1.2-litre engine. And that's how that came yeah. about, as a lot of the news things did. So although they were scripted in as much as stuff was written down, we would usually write the news as it was bullet points. So right. they could glance down and see a bullet point, which you know, was practically it would just be sort of, here's the price of this car you're talking about, because yeah. you want to get some information in there. Um, but then it would also you know, have sort of, to varying degrees of detail, the, the kind of gag points you wanted to hit. But they would come from ad-libs in the room, and part of my job was that I would just write everything down and then take it away and type it up and try and refine it. So, you know, sometimes right. they like the elements will be there, but they need restructuring or it would just need you know, a bit of a fat chopping off. And that one, we started talking about this Mexican car. And Richard said sort of a version of what he said on TV, but he Which for anyone
0: it, listening who didn't know, it was I like. I can't remember what it's he said about that. I think it was like them being lazy or they yeah. be a, they'll all be asleep. No one will be watching it, none of them from the air. Mexican embassy—we're watching anyway because they're probably asleep. I think did
1: that, did Jeremy say that a bit? He might have said maybe. That a bit. And then there was something about their food as well. I oh, that's think. A, yeah. See, that was my, I did write that bit, but I, did, <laughs> I wrote. I'll tell you why I wrote that bit. My my wife is American. She's from the southwestern US, and of course, um, you know, Mexican food is huge yeah. in that part of the US, particularly. Um, and I don't particularly like Mexican food. Yeah. Uh, although she sort of forced me to. Try it more. I, I, I do like some things, but I, 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 in any given situation, what sort of food should we go for tonight? Mexican would be pretty low down my right. list, if I'm honest. Uh, and there was a, there was an Alexi Sale gag from years ago where he went, you don't buy Mexican food, you rent it, it's just sick with cheese on it. And I think I said that in a room, and that became the thing about food. Mm. And then I kind of, I remember saying, we should definitely leave the bit about food in it. And I was only doing that to annoy my wife because I knew we'd be watching right. the show that Sunday evening and she'd go, oh, you bastard, you've got your bloody obsession with making <laughs> food in here. Why will not you admit it's delicious? And, um, but the thing that Richard said was, it was, he said it in the room in a sort of, well, he didn't say, I, I think he didn't say as much as he said in the, in, on the show. And he said it in a sort of lighter tone that somehow it was less... I don't know, it just it didn't feel as obnoxious. Right. And it certainly didn't... You know, I didn't sort of think, oh dear, we're going to tone this down. I just thought, okay, well, you know, it's all a bit... Because apart from the answer, after it all kicked off, and it was it was sort of the, you know, basically it was, it was stereotyping, which, you know, fair enough, it was. Yeah. Uh, and, you know in retrospect we probably should have stayed away from the whole thing but, but there we are The, the after, after it all kicked off a friend of mine sent me a picture of a packet of um, Tesco own brand tortilla chips and the, on the front at the time it had a depiction of a man in a massive sombrero asleep under a tree he just went <laughs> you're not the only ones doing this and I was like oh bloody hell Tesco are doing the same thing because I mean, if that's not stereotyping then I don't know what is and um, but the way he delivered, the way that he delivered it on the show, I think that's the thing. He sort of, he, he amped it up, as they would often do, you know, take the bare bones yeah. of what they were going to say, but then, you know, with the, with the adrenaline of being on stage in front of a big crowd, it just everything got bigger. Yeah. In and his delivery sort of, it got kind of angrier almost. And that made it feel b- quite brutal and, and, and aggressive. And it just, mm. it, it wasn't, it wasn't just a sort of lighthearted bit of poking fun. It actually sort of felt like, you know, we were into full xenophobia <laughs> right now, and it wasn't very nice. And, and, and it was weird. We, it, it was just a thing, you know, on the, on the day. Um, and the, the, the line, the biggest irony was that Terry went, oh, the Mexico ambassador won't be watching, he'll be asleep. The Mexican ambassador was watching. Mm. He didn't normally watch. He just happened to be watching, like <laughs> kind of, I'll see what all the fuss is about with this bloody show everyone's always talking about. What? <laughs> um, but we did apologise for that and the Mexican ambassador turned out to be a really lovely bloke and he invited the presenters and our producer Andy to the Mexican ambassador's residence for a drinks reception next right. time. And I, I think Jeremy and... I know, Richard and Andy went, I think. Did Jeremy go as well, maybe? But... And he came back to the office afterwards and he was absolutely rat-faced. He'd just been <laughs> drinking tequila all afternoon. He came back and he got his bottle. I've still got it on my shelf up there. it was a really nice bottle of tequila. Right. Which he was given. And he came back and he went, Do you want this? I really like tequila. And I was like, Are you sure? Because you seem to have had quite a lot of it. But yeah. The Mexican Master was a lovely man and, and was very gracious in the end and just went, you know, I accept your apology. Come and have a have a drink at my place and we'll all be friends again. All right. And, and we were. So I, in that way, that sort of makes me feel better about it. That Yeah. It, he's the official envoy to the United Kingdom for Mexico. So if he says we're sort of off the hook and he's forgiven us, I hope that means that the people of Mexico have... Yeah. I still don't particularly care for the food, but, you know, that's just my personal... It is
0: taste. weird how, like, when, when I first watched that whenever it was, like... Yeah, I don't know how long ago that was, but um, I didn't really see what the fuss was about. And then I saw it again recently on YouTube. I just stumbled across it on YouTube, mm. and it didn't like it didn't bother me a lot. But then mm. I'm I'm not Mexican, so I but but yeah. but it but it, it I don't know if it had, I'd changed or just like the way everything is now. It seems. I, I think there's probably a little
1: bit of well, the two are probably linked, aren't they? Mm. I it makes me a bit uncomfortable now. I, I you know, I didn't. I don't remember putting my hand up and going, "Guys, we should not do this." At the time, because I didn't, because it didn't seem to be that bad. And it's, yeah. It, so times have changed. I mean, I can't remember when that was, but um, yeah, it does. See, it's one of the things that will. Uh, a friend of mine, a guy who I used to work with on the show, I was talking to him about this the other week, and he went, one day Top Gear, and not that far in the future, Top Gear will seem as dated as the black and white minstrel show or you know, one right. of those sort of 70s sitcoms that's just basically racist. And he was like, that's what will date the show because there are things that were said and done in the programme that are rapidly becoming... You know, where once they were sort of slightly unacceptable, but you could get away with it. Yeah. They will just be seen as absolutely unacceptable. And I think that's part of the evolution of society. And I, I, I don't object to it. You know, there's that sort of thing about political correctness gone mad. Yeah. And so sort of go, well, yes, but if you, you know, if you change the words political correctness to politeness, and it's just polite to not yeah. be nasty to people who aren't like you, then... Uh, it's a bit easy to understand that there is a there is room for political correctness or however you want to call it, and it's just good manners. Just be nice to people. Yeah. And I think I... But, you know, I didn't say that at the time, <laughs> so I was guilty as anyone of being a massive hypocrite on this. But it does date the show. I do think attitudes have changed. I got some... On the other month, I, I wrote a column in the magazine that I write for about F1 getting rid of grid girls mm. and saying, you know, this is about time because F1 is and I'm a big F1 fan but I find it there's something embarrassing about it I think F1's a bit naff it's a sort of middle aged dad sport isn't it they pretend it's all high tech and glamorous and look there's there's people on yachts wearing beautiful Rolexes and things it's not it's your dad in chinos (laughs) after a big roast sitting in his armchair watching this thing and it's just so there's something sort of terminally naff about it and the new owners of the sport are trying to change that around and there are lots of arguments about having women in tight clothes on the yeah. grid and, and why you should or shouldn't. But I think fundamentally you get rid of it and it just suggests that you're moving with the times. And um, and I put this in a column. And, uh, and someone went, I don't know why you're getting on your high horse. I seem to remember you worked on the Top Gear when you had women in bikinis in the studio to illustrate different kinds of Porsche 911. <laughs> And I thought, oh, God, we did, me. That was like that was in 2002 or three, I think. And I mean, we wouldn't do that now. It's funny, because we, we just absolutely wouldn't. I know we wouldn't, partly because yeah. there's one thing, and it seems funny to say, because Jeremy particularly is often accused of being sexist. And you, go, oh, that, you know, that sexist, racist pig, Jeremy and people sort of spitting on yeah. like that. And I go, it's funny, because one of the things that Jeremy is absolutely neurotic about being perceived as, and, and will do everything to make sure that he... He never is, He's sexist. He's like, he's really sort of. Oh, really? Yeah, he's, he's quite sensitive about it and he hates. I once had someone who was working with us, uh, a woman who's working on our team, and she, she said to me, Oh, I don't like it when you do those sexist bits. And he went, and he sort of got up on his haunches and went, What sexist bits? She went, Oh, I don't, well, I mean, I don't really know. And he went, No, go on, which, which bits have been sexist in the show? What's sexist? Yeah. And she went, I oh, said, that's a good point. I can't really think of any. And she he's like, Exactly, because there aren't. There aren't. That's the thing. You think there are. Yeah. Think people are sort of, it's like looking at a light bulb and then looking away. You can still see it in front of your face. People have this sort of ghostly outline of, of, of unacceptable seventies spec behaviour because yeah. it's Jeremy and he's an old warhorse and of course he's going to be a sexist. And actually, you know, genuinely, I don't think he is. <laughs> and he's quite he's quite careful about that. That he, he he wants to make it absolutely clear that he's not and he doesn't. You know. Because I mean, I, that's the thing I remember once working on another show where they were trying to pitch this battle of the sexes thing and this was about ten years ago and I just remember going it's not 1974 come <laughs> on we're better than this and we would never really I mean we did do we did a thing it was an awful item we did in very early days of Top Gear where it was can a rally crew change and like a gearbox faster than a group of women can get ready for a night nice out? right and Jeremy had nothing to do with that. And I remember he was a bit like, what the fuck is this? It was it was Andy Wilman's idea. I think he thought it was funny and then Hammond presented it. And it was an item that was never going anywhere. But yeah, I think Jeremy going, this is not what we should be doing. Yeah. And that was that was in the early days as well, when we did have women in bikinis in the studio to illustrate different types of Porsche 911, which back to my point about, you know, someone was giving me a bit of stick about that. And I was sort of like, yeah, I, but... My only defence was times change.
0: That seemed yeah. okay there. There's a lot, and of, it was done
1: tongue in cheek as well. Yeah. Right I should add, uh, but we probably wouldn't even go there now. We wouldn't. Yeah. I just don't think we would because it would. You know, I mean, it's, it, it, it was tacky. It would be particularly tacky now.
0: There's a lot of there's there's a lot of things that you watch, like that were made not that long ago, and some and you're like, oh, I'm not sure you'd be able to do that now, or yeah. people wouldn't. Like, and even, like, really small things. I don't think... um, Like, I was watching Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. um, The other day, which... Yeah, I love Shaun of the Dead. It's a great film. Yeah. Um, But there is a bit where um, Nick Frost, like, purposely crashes his car so he can drive Bill Nye's Jag that's on there. Right, yes. Um, And he's standing outside the... Yeah, Simon Pegg's gone in to get his mum and Bill Nye out. Mm. And he stood by the car and he goes... Um, I'll say it now for the purposes of, of us talking, but I'll probably cut it from the video. <laughs> but he goes, "What's up, my niggers?" As he stands by the car. Oh. And and Sean gives him like a withering look. Yeah. But like, I just thought when it came up, I didn't. I didn't go. ooh but I just thought he probably wouldn't put that in the scripts now.
1: No. In like just, this, you just wouldn't, would you? It's not. I, I know where that would have come from. It's like, it's because it's the character. Yeah. And he is being inappropriate. Yeah. And the other characters acknowledge this and all that. But at the same time, it's just not a pleasant thing to hear a fat white man say it, <laughs> yeah. even when in character. And it's funny, I was watching some old episodes of Faulty Towers recently, and it's like, there's a bit in that where I think Basil basically hits Polly. And it really made me wince. I just went, oh my God. I mean, you can't do that. <laughs> And there's a few bits in there. I mean, you know, God, that show's forty odd years old, yeah. and it does. That's the thing. Times change It's, it's you know, it's one of those, it's. It's a mark of a, of a, a, the fact that our society is evolving in hopefully the right direction. Yeah. We are more thoughtful. We are more sensitive to other people. I don't think that sort of you know, what kind of tedious right wing bores on Twitter would call snowflake behavior. It's just human decency. Yeah. And I suppose, going back to my former job on top gear, that you know stuff got through the net that probably shouldn't have done, and that wouldn't now, yeah you know we it was i say it was different times i mean I say it was only <laughs> it was only what four years ago at the end, but even so we we probably did get away. A lot more. Bear in mind that pretty much every, well everything had to go through BBC editorial policy. Yeah, who, well, that's uh, the thing with the Joe Brand brands. thing
0: at the moment as well, isn't it? With the joke she made about um, acid yeah. relating to politicians. It's yeah. like, well, someone at the BBC checked it, yeah, and signed that off and yeah. said that's fine.
1: The great thing we had a there was a fantastic lady in editorial policy called Sue who used to. Uh, check all our stuff and and after a few controversies she was told we were told that she had to have eyes on everything right like more so you know often we would go and film scripts and then she would she would review the finisher and suddenly it was like you see has to be in on this earlier but she was great because I think some people in that position their default would be I need to minimize risk as much as possible the else you know, there's that sort of that way of thinking, which is I need to make sure I don't get into trouble, yeah. So I will, that's my primary aim not to stop them getting in trouble, it's about me saving my yeah. own arse. And Sue wasn't like that. Sue's primary aim was to try and allow us to make the program the way we wanted to make it. And she was such a and she wasn't afraid to go, No, you, you can't say this, or you shouldn't say this, or you know, sometimes she'd even send me a cheeky little note where she'd just go, I really like this bit, but yeah. uh what about that and I remember there was once there was something in where we, we put some swearing in or something which we didn't normally do and, um, and she sent me a note and she went well, you could probably get away with this and I hope you do because it really made me laugh and I was like you couldn't ask for anything more from yeah. a poll person than to feel that like they're on your side they've got one eye on standards and practices as, as the Americans call it but they are hoping wherever possible to preserve what you've come up with because they appreciate that you'll you know it's just also you develop a relationship with, with someone like that that they know that you're not doing these things lightly Yeah, if you're sort of saying can we get away with this because we really think it would. it's important to the item and she would you know, give it her due consideration, and that was so. um A, a lot of the things that, including, I mean, there a couple of ones which I thought were really unfortunate, and one that I really didn't like. And I don't know what what was going on. I mean, it was. I, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, absolving myself of blame, but it was not my department, and it was something that made it to air that it shouldn't have done. And I was amazed that Ed Pol, um Which might not, I think it might be someone different at this point. And uh, it was also in an era when the whole layers of management were Mm. scrutinizing everything we did and and it got through. And then it all kicked off. And I just thought, all right, you know, we should look at our shoes and say sorry because we shouldn't have done that. But uh, where are all these people in Mm. management? who suddenly scatter like rats. It's not that bit's in the book, isn't it? There's a bit of it, I think, in the book. I can't You just remember sort of do
0: offhand, like, comment on it, I think.
1: Yeah. there it was. It was it's the same. thing
0: I'm thinking of, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, there are a couple of them. But, um, yeah, we didn't... I mean, we... But then there were also controls that were, like, really unfortunate. Like,
0: the the whole thing about Jeremy with the eeny, meeny, miny, moe yeah, thing. yeah. And it was like, well... That never went. That wasn't supposed to be seen mm. and he'd clearly done that take, gone, no, that's not right yeah. and done a different take.
1: Yeah. Um, he he, he self-policed himself there because he realised, even though obviously he'd not said yeah. that word, he had mumbled to the same rhythm yeah. as it and even that is not acceptable. So he did the other take and put a different word in altogether. Um, but yeah, that was somebody, somebody leaked that from our edit suite. We, we had a pretty good idea who, uh, but we couldn't prove it and they didn't work um, for us. In fact, they'd left the country, so it was like pretty hard to make that one stick. And that was one of those instances. It was when things weren't, you know, our relationship with the BBC was was not good. They yeah. were pretty disappointed with us for <laughs> various things. But what was frustrating there was that their first thought was that to give us another bollocking. Uh, And we were sort of going, we've had a leak from an edit facility, and I think if that's something that's happening, a lot of other presenters should be worried as well, because you just can't imagine all manner of tantrums (laughs) and unprofessionalism and amateurism that would be captured on raw footage that, you know, it stays, for good reason, locked in edit suites. And all of those classic things, you know, where someone's saying things they shouldn't on a hot mic, yeah. uh, and a lot of that is just, you know, it gets it gets locked away in edits and or destroyed or what have you. And the BBC seemed to be deeply worried that Top Gear was out of line again, rather than <laughs> been a sort of major security breach of the kind that any broadcaster should be really concerned about. So, yeah, we we were a bit at that point. I think that that strained the relationship even more. Yeah, sort of like guys. Yeah, ultimately, we are one of your shows on your network and we are actually on the same side i know that we piss you off a lot and that's fair enough but can we pull together on this one you, yeah. we, we should be presenting a unified front and they, they were more like oh he's done it again we're so sorry you know sort of i think part of the the, the terrible situation the bbc finds itself mm-hmm. in is that because it's molly what's wrong with you now what is this Um, yeah, one of the terrible situations the BBC finds itself in is because it's sort of fairly constantly under attack from certain quarters of, of the media. Yeah. It is very sensitive about its its public perception. It has become more sensitive, and so they, it certainly with Top Gear, we and you know, in fairness, we had blotted our copybook a few times, so they were less willing to stand by us when maybe they would have done if it was our first offence and. Um, that sort of made it hard. I mean, that's and also in a funny way, this is ultimately what led to the downfall of the of the Clarkson Hammond and May era show because the backstory to what happened with uh, Jeremy uh, when he hit our colleague Goshin is that he was under an enormous amount of pressure in a number of ways. And it's all sort of, you know, he's written about this, it's on public record, he was going through a divorce, but also he was. Getting a lot of flack from all quarters. You mm. know, BBC, BBC management, in particular, the, the former head of the channel, kept sort of calling him in to tell him off again. And I think he just had enough. And yeah. it was really starting to affect him. It was really getting him down that he felt he wasn't being supported by the very place that he had sort of delivered a successful show to. And, yeah. and that was part of why he was a bit frayed at the edges. Yeah. Doesn't excuse what he did, but I think it, there are, you know, there's there's a, there's a more complex backstory to it than people might appreciate. And
0: I think some people just assume he was just being a massive diva and just yeah yeah yeah. Uh, but I, you know, it's like he's 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 worked on a show for however long yeah it ran for. He's not just gonna. Someone just because he didn't get the meal he wanted, or whatever it was that, yeah, that's it. I supposed mean, it's just sort of
1: become a big thing. Of, oh, he couldn't have a steak, and it's it does make him sound like a yeah. sort of bad, bad facsimile of <laughs> Mariah Carey, but and I'm sure she's ever hit anyone, but it, it's um, it, it was it was a sort of um, you know, the culmination of a lot of crap that was going on at the time. Um, and the funny thing is as well that. that Often, sort of seems to get misreported or misinterpreted as this idea that ultimately you know, the BBC sacked him. And the truth of it is that they were just coming to the end of their contracts, all three presenters, and they were in the middle of renegotiating. I think they'd sort of got to a point where the negotiations had reached a satisfactory point, you know, where mm. they were ready to sign. And then he hit one of our team, and you know, that cannot be allowed to pass. But if he'd been under an ongoing contract they could have suspended him for a bit because he was just about to go out of contract Mm. the last thing they could do particularly mindful of what i was saying about the bbc and its fear of being perceived as as, you know misusing license fee perhaps money and all the rest of it the last thing they could do is hand him because the new contracts apparently were significantly more lucrative Mm. than the old ones so it would have been like right so you've done something that's totally unacceptable in the workplace here have a seven figure salary <laughs> and um, so they couldn't do it so in fact the, the only option they really had was to let him go that's mm. the thing it wasn't the sacking they just didn't renew his contract Yeah. because they couldn't and that doesn't ever really sort of get acknowledged but it was, they, they were in a really difficult position there because I suspect and particularly with pressure from the commercial part of the organisation that sold the show around the world they would have dearly loved to have found some way to um, you know Keep it going. Suspend him for a bit. Send him off to sort his head out, which is what he did off his own bat, anyway. And um, and then you know he could come back, say he was sorry, and uh, and, and we could crack on. Mm. But it just could never happen that way. So you know. But everything happens for a reason, I suppose, doesn't it? And it all ended up okay. And now and and, and it was funny when when the Grand Tour started and then Top Gear was going through sort of reinvention. And, you sort of hear you know, kind of long-term fans of the show and car people going, you know, as if you, as if you had to make a choice, you had to the colours mm. to the mast. It's like it's not, it's not football match. It's not even Blur and Oasis. You know, this is like yeah. you can watch both. What's happened is people who like lighthearted shows about cars on telly now have more choice. Yeah, you can watch them all, and that's no bad thing. And yeah, you know, so
0: and also allowed for the for that like amazing opening to the first episode. Of the yeah. School, which is incredible.
1: There's another thing where a lot of stuff over the years that we did was a, was a nice sort of collaborative effort. And it's like, I'd always thought it was a little bit like being in a band in as much as it's sort of like, I've got to choose a band carefully here so that I don't sound... <laughs> Like, don't say the Beatles, he's just compared Topgit to the Beatles, what a prick. Um, but you know, if you imagine sort of a, a really good, I don't know, Blur or something like yeah. that, and you kind of go, well, it's obvious that, that, that Damon Arban is, the, is, is the, the guy who pulls that band along. In the same way, it's like, oh, it's obvious that Jeremy is the sort of big guy in this one. But every other member of the band brings something and it wouldn't be the same if you took one element away. And a lot of what we did was very collaborative, but every so often Jeremy would just have an idea a Vision in his head, and the thing I was talking about with the uh, military training base in, in the Middle East was one of those. I think that just that was something he'd formulated in his head, popped out, fully formed. That's what he wanted to do. And that opening sequence was another one of those. He just that was his vision, right? That's what he wanted from the off. And I remember even down to the music, yeah. And he told someone on the team about it. I think our director, our series director, Phil. And Phil's a bit like, okay, yeah, right. Uh, And then I think we called a meeting. And there were a few of us in there, so there's me and our series producer, and our exec producer, and and Phil the director, and Jeremy and maybe Rich and James are there as well. And Jeremy sat everyone down and he went, right, look, look I've i am just gonna explain this to you all now, because I've told Phil about it, and he's pulling a face. I'm gonna tell it all I'm gonna tell you all what I want to do now so everybody knows we're all on the same page. And I remember him playing the song off his right. phone, the Hot House Flowers version of um What is it? I can see clearly now, isn't it? Yeah. And um even like he was so he was doing sort of Live describing visuals <laughs> over the track, and even to the point where he'd worked out that we because in fact there's an edit of the song. They cut out a little bit to just yeah. tighten it up. This is the bit now. I'm coming out of the BBC office. It's almost like Alan Partridge describing <laughs> the, t- the titles to Spy Love Me, but better than that. He's going, okay. Now there's the Mustangs. They're driving along. And so going, All right, cut this bit out. Okay, now come to here and we this, this, and this. And he was going, and we and we all sat there and went, okay, yeah, got it. And then sort the track finished. He went, yeah. right, that's what I want to do. And normally in those situations. We'd start going, okay, that's good. What if you did this? What if you did that? And we started doing that. And he went, no, no, you don't understand. I just, this is what this is how I see it. This is how I see it, okay? We don't need to do anything else. This is how I see it. And we kind of all went, okay. All right, then. yeah, <laughs> that's what you think. And I remember we went out and one of the guys at work, we went, is this a bit self-indulgent? And I was like, I don't know. I think it, no, it'll be all right. I think it'll be all right. And I think it was all right. I mean, I, I really yeah. liked it. I yeah, got a bit misty was, eye the first it was, time I watched I thought the it was brilliant. It was great fun to do. had yeah. a lovely time out there. I mean, you know, sort of the, the, the turning up and seeing all these cars out in the desert for the first time. Yeah. And we had a bit of free time. And I, I turned up with the presenters. We all arrived together for the first, to have a look at the set and everything. And we just spent like an hour just wandering around these cars, just having a look at all this cool shit. And then, and then they, they, they all went off and they started filming a lot of the just establishing shots and things. And, and we, got a, we got a highway. We got the main sort of, I can't remember the number of it, freeway from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, um, closed. But it's amazing how you can close stuff in America. You just pay the police and they go and <laughs> close stuff. And well, they were great, because you know, they're used to it, because they run yeah. movies and all sorts. And so, yeah, just in brief chunks, they just did a rolling roadblock and we got a free section of freeway just to do these shots. And I was, I was riding in the back of one of the camera cars just going, this is fucking nuts. <laughs> How are we doing this? And then we went back and we did the thing on the stage and there's all these yeah. people. And, and then the, the the fighter jets going over. It was a really lucky chance that uh, there was an air show up the road and, and, and we found out that this display team was there. Right. And I think for sort of a fairly minimal fee, they agreed to just do sort of two flyovers and three flyovers. and And... Huh. Which, you know, we couldn't have hoped for any more because it was like, even Jeremy with his grand vision didn't say, yeah. and then some fighter jets or So <laughs> yeah. I think even he would have known that was ridiculous. His, his, his idea was always grounded in what was achievable. Um, and it turned out quite well. And it was mm. a great example of the fact that, uh, I mean, apart from the else, Jeremy is sort of annoyingly right, you know. He has got a good, yeah, incredibly good editorial sense and a good idea of how things should look and how they should be paced and structured and things like that. And, and you know, been plenty of times where I've disagreed with him on stuff, but irritatingly, a lot of time he's been right. Yeah. I mean, not always. I've had occasional times where I've been able to go, that didn't work, did it? No, but whatever, it did. <laughs> it did work you know it didn't work did you no I don't it's good and, uh, yeah that there's that, an awful one we did with the Sweeney movie do you remember that and we made a cast. yeah I'd made a note of that because you talk I about it I hated that so much and it was for various reasons which I talked about in the book Molly what is your dog problem <laughs> just she makes it's like, she's like a person because as she gets older she makes more random grunting noises <laughs> and things which I find I do as well um yeah, I hated that Sweeney thing so much because it took up so much effort for a precious little reward. I thought it just wasn't a very good item. It was that was one of those ones where we're sort of asking people to believe yeah, we were yeah. really doing this, and it was all rubbish. Although we did, we did have a, another unit with another director, one of our directors, making and, and the making the real car chase. Yeah, you know, which they, did, they did a good job, but um, but it was I hated all, that so but it much.
0: Was, it was, I, I imagine it must have been quite hard to like get Through the BBC because it sounds like oh, it was a nightmare.
1: It was enough because it nightmare. does seem like you're just promoting the Sweeney film. It was almost pulled at the last minute because of that. Because the BBC went, um, <laughs> 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 this is like BBC editorial guidelines 101 don't promote stuff. It's a bit there.
0: like Alan Partridge
1: pointing at his Rover V test. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was a bit like that. But then you get into a very weird area there because it's like, well, are we technically were we promoting cars that we reviewed? If we conclude I by suppose, going, this yeah. car is great. And of course, you can justify that because you are being journalistic about it. You, if you're reviewing yeah. something, you're weighing up the pros and cons. No money's changing hands. But you know, even things like you know, some of the US. Uh, newspapers when they don't let their car reviewers uh, go on car events that are paid for by the manufacturer right you know where Toyota would say we mm. want to fly people to Palm Springs to have a go in the new Camry I think like the New York Times and places like that they'll go no no we will we'll pay for our people to get there mm. we will pay for the hotel and pay for their meals as well and if there are any other expenses we will reimburse you we do not take a, a dollar from you because that compromises our impartiality and the Beebe is towards that end of the spectrum, but there's a grey area, and it's like, as long as you're being journalistic about it, but the Sweeney film, yeah, they almost, management almost went, no, quite close to the filming time, and I was going, yeah, go management, (laughs) because I already thought, this is crap, but that was one of those ones where, after the act, Jeremy knew I hated it, and he, again, sort of, being childish and belligerent, as, as we all were, to some degree, he would go I think it's one of the best things we've ever done and he knew I knew that he was talking shit and I would then dig into the opposite position because I didn't like that film at all but I sort of it's the worst thing (laughs) I heard someone someone who watched it and it actually gave him tuberculosis because it was so bad, and and it got ridiculous. And then he would sometimes just randomly go, I was talking to a friend of mine the other night, and you know his favourite thing we've ever done? It's the <laughs> Sweeney. He said it was brilliant, and he's told a hundred other people to watch it, so it's definitely a great film. And I'd be like, yeah, well, I heard someone who died because they watched it, and it just got stupid. I think he he actually knew that it was not our finest hour, but...
0: You said that, uh, there was uh, one thing I heard you on the on that podcast I was listening to. you said about that when they were trying to do the American show, there was the difficulty about advertisement and that if you said like, "Oh the the Dodge is better than the Ford yeah like it was a drag race between the yeah Dodge
1: we, did a, we did a pilot for u s top gear. Uh, for the Discovery Network I think it was and yeah they let us get on with it but then there was a drag race between a Ford and a Dodge and the, I think the Dodge won, or anyway whichever one lost they went they spent a lot of money with us yeah and they didn't want to piss off an advertiser and then they just pulled the drag race and we were like but it's a drag race it's factual you know we didn't cheat it yeah that car is a little bit faster than that car they just wouldn't have it and at that point we kind of knew that that particular pilot was sunk you know it was mm. never going to work if we weren't allowed a little bit of freedom um so uh yeah that 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 was that was always a bit tricky um doing the us ones i mean there were a number of reasons why the us ones it was it was a struggle to get and i think there was a period where uh the version with uh rutledge tanner and, and adam was had it hit its stride and it hit stride because they became mates they were three strangers yeah and it turns out they actually did have a really good chemistry and they were and they were quite good together yeah, yeah. they're still mates now they're yeah. not making the show and they're still friends like it's actually quite sweet that yeah. they're, they're you know buddies and they talk to each other and it's still to this day and and you know which is they all live in different parts of the US so that's not you know it would be easy for them to all just have disappeared off their respective other lives but uh, yeah, I think that show did finally hit its stride, but it, it took a bit of refinement. The studio didn't make any sense to them relative to the VT, which was another right. problems. And um, just because there's no precedent for that kind of thing in US broadcasting, mm. for a host to be in the studio introducing themselves in the field, it's funny how actually, if you think about it, that is a bit strange. Yeah. But I we're suppose sort of in British TV, to, uh, we're yeah. used to. You know, we all grew up on Blue Peter, which yeah. we do that all the time—a studio show that. Uh, Presenters linked to their own BTs is, is sort of normal here. Yeah. Doesn't there's no there's no precedent. It's like Adam US.
0: Buxton was saying, they don't really do like comedy panel shows in the states no, that much. There's not really, you can't really think of any. So US comedy panel shows, but we do it loads. Oh I like. know
1: at the Ying Yang. It's funny as well because when I, my so I find the, the ill-fated first US Top Gear pilot was was a disastrous show, but it's where I met my wife mm. and so it was you know, it had an element of success for me but it uh, she was working at the time uh, she, on that show um, in between series of Dancing with the Stars which is you know their version mm. strictly and um, most of the people she worked with certainly senior people on, on dancing were British and I was always really puzzled by that. They were ex-strictly people who it. And I remember talking to one of them and going, how did you get this gig? Because surely there's plenty of people in Los Angeles <laughs> who know how to make television. And she went, well, he'd say that, but not this kind of television. Mm. Big kind of shiny floor, light entertainment, dancing show. No precedent yeah. at all. And so they, they happily went... Get some Brits over here to just sort of lead the way, and of course, all these people who are used to having to rock up to a khaki office in television centre went, "What? You want me to go and live in Los Angeles and uh, and make make a TV show <laughs> yeah. in Hollywood?" Yeah, okay, I think I yeah, can yeah, do fine, that. Yeah. And then, obviously, you had to prize those jobs out of their cold, dead hands. So yeah. most of them did it. I think some of them are still doing it because it's a sweet gig. But it was—it's amazing how you think that US, you know, the US sort of TV and film industry is, is all conquering and. and Covers everything, but yeah, in fact, you know, sort of certain formats of show are not popular there or haven't worked there for whatever reason, and and uh, they they also the way that you know Saturday night is not a big night for telly. Mm. All their big event shows, which are now a thing, you know, dancing and uh, and they've had you know American Idol and what so they they kind of they go on like a Tuesday, right. Really weird because a soft. Tuesday that's a that's a graveyard yeah. night for a big kind of tab- Everybody, it's live, tune in, vote. Yeah. But yeah, the idea in the US of a show like that going out on a Saturday night is, is bizarre to them. strange. They're so like, Well you should be doing something else on a Saturday night. Why are you not spending it with your friends yeah. or your family? You know what? Well, you don't sit and watch T V and or you go to the movies and, and yeah. so yeah, they, they find it my, my wife moved over here going why because she moved over and she started working on Strictly and she's like why does this show go out on a Saturday that's just weird and I'm like no it's not it's the least weird thing I've ever heard what are you talking about although funny enough seamlessly link back to my old job but when we started making Top Gear and the BBC went you're going to be on a Sunday night we went oh for fuck's sake what (laughs) that's like the worst thing possible because we assumed we'd be on Thursday night which is when Top Gear traditionally was when it was a Proper car show. Um, and that was Top Gear Slot, Thursday night. Why why would we not be on that? And I don't know whose idea it was. It didn't come from our Someone in the Beeb we went, no, Sunday night. And we went, Sunday night, That's like songs of praise and heartbeat. And, yeah. you know, when you were a kid, it was like that feeling of, oh, no, I haven't done my homework. And I've got to go play school tomorrow morning. Ugh, oh, Sunday night's awful. And then only... But they realised the genius of it, precisely yeah. because of that. So like, there's not a lot on if you don't like period dramas, and, and, and yeah. And they've started something.
0: to really push Sundays now. Like, yeah, Sherlock was on Sundays, and now they always put like the big sort of drama. Yeah, stuff and on the Sunday.
1: result shows for the talent yeah. talent contests on the on the Saturday Doctor night. Doctor Who's Atlanta. moved to yeah. Sunday. Yeah, Sunday's big, and it is because and I guess we were not through any design of our own but we were in the vanguard of that of going actually maybe Sunday nights are great it's Again. a good pick me up as well yeah right? it's one last thing to you know, enjoy, enjoy the, before yeah. you sort of basically have to go right better go to bed then work tomorrow school tomorrow whatever yeah. I, I worked on um, uh, a, 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 a pilot for a football show I'm not, I don't know much about football but it, was, it right. was a period when Top Gear started getting successful and those of us who worked on it started getting asked if we would do like brainstorms and or, or contribute to other programs that were trying to capture this essence of mm. Tokyo, whatever that was supposed to be. And I, so I, I was part of a little team that was trying to develop this football program. Uh, I can't believe it was going to be called, but it was specifically aimed at the Sunday night slot. It's a logical time to put a football show on because you're wrapping up all of the weekend mm. action. But I remember part of it was a slogan we came up, which was, uh, the weekend's not over till we say so, or something like that. Right. And, it, and in a way, that sort of encapsulated, in mm. fact, what, what we were inadvertently doing with Top Gear it was almost like, got one last bit of escapist, pure, silly entertainment before you basically then have to acknowledge that it's almost bedtime and mm. you've got to go to do whatever you do on Monday morning. And, and, and it, was, it was quite fortuitous. But yeah, it's good. It's a good point. Isn't it? now everything cool is on on a Sunday night? Yeah, it's good captive audience. People don't go out much on Sunday nights, so it's a nice, nice time to put stuff on. One thing, like last thing I wanted to
0: ask you about was about I really enjoy the and you've sort of done it. I think more in the Grand Tour than maybe you did in Top Gear, or maybe that's just me thinking that way, but not it, it not being true. But um, the, like the little documentary sort of films okay yeah so like you did the one about Ford and Ferrari yeah and recently there was the one about the F1 driver who suddenly escaped my Uh, Jim Clark Jim Clark Yeah. how much involvement do you have
1: with that sort of stuff uh well I used to be a bit involved I mean uh, those were uh, certainly in the Grand Tour era um there was uh one of our producer directors guy called gavin whitehead um who i was having a pint with last night and he's very good at that sort of stuff because right. he's very into history and so he loves getting his teeth into a yeah research project so he used to lead the charge on those for the grand tour and he would just basically be left alone to dive right. into research he'd probably have a researcher to help out um and then, it depends who was doing it, but like the, the Lancia Audi rally one, mm. in fact, there was a, there were one of our uh, producers, uh, a guy called Steve Fenimore, did a lot of the work on that in terms of sort of finding, you know, talking to the old rally people who worked on the teams and stuff like that. Um, and so they would, we would almost sort of leave them to it as right, a unit, okay. you know, probably Gavin and someone else to just get on with it, basically. And in that case, you know, that Stu would be finding as much information as possible and then trying to distill it down and then feeding it into Jeremy. And so I'd sort of, I'd work with Jeremy on the script side of things, you know, distilling things down. But Mm. they were, you know, what they didn't need was gags particularly. So they they were much more serious. And they always went down really well. But I think they partly went down really well because... I mean firstly, they I don't sound immodest, but I think they were really well done, you know, they always yeah. used to lovely combinations of the archive and then. They always they,
0: they always felt like they had like an emotional hit
1: to yeah. them as well. There was a they sort of did, and that wasn't an accident because I remember we were in the third series of the Grand Tour. What was it we were trying to do? We were gonna do a broad maybe instead of Jim Clark. Originally we were gonna do a broader sort of lotus story. And there was something else we were going to do as well that just and, and they got rejected in the end because after a load of research had been done, we couldn't see a, a that sort of emotional angle. In, and more likely, it's just that sometimes reality isn't structured the way you'd want it to be. Mm. You know, the pivotal the pivotal point in a sort of you know. End of the second act, or the end of you know the inciting incident, at the end of the first act, or whatever it would be, would wouldn't quite align with the way you'd want to structure it, right. and you would have to take too many liberties with truth to be able to give it that that good story structure you wanted it, and it would then you just you know you're actually not telling the story properly because you were trying to make it too dramatic, um, so. And, and, in fact, the person who was brilliant at that, because he's a great storyteller is our well, uh, executive producer, Andy Wilman. so he wrote the, the fundamentals of the Jim Clark film, for example. Mm. You know, it was his decision. Assuming that a lot of people didn't know that much about Jim Clark, we kind of gave away that he'd been killed right at the top of the thing, which is, you know, it's a kind of interesting technique because you to kind of weigh that up. Mm. Do you really want to do that? Is it spoiler alert? But then it's kind of like... In fact, done right, it, it's, I suppose it, it heightens the tragedy because you're then recapping a life story of someone knowing inevitably that yeah. something bad it's is coming. Yeah, it's a bit like coming. that film
0: You know, yeah, exactly. you know yeah. you're going to get to the point where he crashes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, you're then sort of, your senses are on high alert in a way because you're then like, oh God, and this and this yeah. and this is oh Oh, he really was brilliant. And oh my God, and he won that. And oh shit, this is going to be so tragic. Oh Christ, he has died now. And it's just, yeah, it can work really well. Mm. Um, so we did do, we do because we did the third series. We did quite a few of them, didn't we? We did Jim Clark and we did that, James did that Porsche 917, which is one of our more, Serious Films and uh, did... Jeremy do one? can't remember. But I... I the, yeah, the Lancia Audi one was good and that was Jeremy's idea and that one did work in terms of... I mean, you know, it's a little bit of... Not, not messing with reality but just, you know, highlighting yeah, certain yeah. elements. I think one of the ones that was always... I was a bit like, are we okay with this, legally speaking, is we kind of labelled... Um, uh, what's he called? Uh, uh, I can't remember guy's name. The bloke who ran the Lancy team, we labelled him as a playboy Right, and there's kind of evidence that he lived a good life, and that you know he was a sort of handsome Italian guy doing a really cool job and stuff like that. But you know, I I think if he had objected, (laughs) he would have been a bit awkward. I was happily married at that point. What are you saying? Yeah, it just made sense in the story to kind of go contrast the uh, Mm. you know the, the, the the sensible, efficient Germanic. Audi team with this sort of slightly freewheeling Lancia side run by a playboy, and it, you know that that kind of thing is a little bit tabloid, mm. but fundamentally the story was correct, and and uh, we had a guy uh, uh, called John Davenport who used to run a, the Austin Rover Rally team as a rally, you know, historian, and he kind of fact checked a lot for us, and. Uh, so they were, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. They were, they were legit, proper bits of storytelling. But mm. that's, it, we, what we did was we cherry-picked the stories we told because they fitted the way yeah. that we wanted to do that sort of thing. And, and some stories just didn't work that way. So, um, yeah. I used to like... I was more involved, actually, with the ones that we did on, on Top Gear because we did the Lancia story and Peugeots, which is very silly, but did actually start as a proper history lesson. Mm. And uh, what else do we do? Well, we did, Funny enough, we did our own Senna story as
0: well. Yeah, I just thought that when I said it. Which I was old. I can't remember where that came Jeremy out. Jeremy presented it, didn't he?
1: Yeah. Um, and I forget whether that came out before the movie. Maybe it did, just I think before.
0: it did, but I think it was, like, around the time. Because it must have been, like, an anniversary or something. Yeah, maybe
1: so. we so. got Lewis Hamilton driving one of Senna's old car. That yeah. was the thing that made our film sort of... A bit different to the movie it wasn't just a sort of retelling yeah life it was also we had a bit of specially shot stuff but um yeah the funny thing about those was that they went down very well but i think it's part of what made them work what i was gonna say was not just the fact that i uh, hope we did a good job with them but also that they were a good contrast to most of mm. what the other stuff, what else was in the shows and the series and you know if we'd done loads more of them I think after a while, people have started going. Hmm, can we have a few laughs now? Could someone just fall over or something? Yeah, yeah. this is all getting a bit serious. You know, it's it, the contrast is what made those those stand out. But mm. they do. You know, it was always heartening that they got a good reaction. It was almost like, um, you know, that was us showing that we could do grown-up, proper TV. Yeah, in the same way that you know Jeremy used to make those um, documentaries about the war and stuff mm-hmm. about the uh, Victoria Cross. And it was a good way of him showing that actually he's a very good broadcaster and writer and and that he can do sensible stuff. It was almost just like kind of, okay, kids, watch this. Mm. Watch my chops. I can do this. And he could. They were great. I mean, you know, he still gets people going, when are you going to make one of those military documentaries? When are you you going to do more of that stuff? Mm. Which I think he's got, uh, all the presenters are going to do little solo projects for Amazon in the right. coming year or so um, because the Grand Tour is on sort of reduced output and mm. uh, I think Jeremy's well he's he, I mean this is not a secret because he's, he's written about it already he's going to make this show about his farm that he's bought right. and the struggles of running a farm and I think mm. that has the potential to show a different side to him mm. as well you know he, again able to impart interesting information in a, in a, a really watchable way without going, oh no, I've fallen in the slurry pit again. <laughs> I think so. I don't know. I mean, he yeah, may, yeah, yeah. He may right. decide yeah. that's funnier and better but, uh, yeah, he's, he's as you sort of probably tell, there's a sort of cartoonish oath persona that we played on yeah. TV. He's a very, very clever bloke and he is very able to do a lot of different well, I think things.
0: even just watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yeah. It was like, just, it just sort of affirmed that he's a really good presenter yeah and like he could do and obviously he was being you know a bit Clarkson-esque as he always is yeah. but he yeah he can like he could
1: he could do it properly and yeah we were I we, we got wind that he was this was on, on the cards and then it was made official and uh well i think we already knew at this point it was going to happen and we were laughing in the office about it because we were like i mean you've seen on on top Gear in the grand tour jeremy's not the most patient man mm. what are you doing why you, no, james <laughs> stop explaining this i've lost interest already i'm going if i'm going i'm going i'm just going over there you know he just, just, yeah we were like what is he going to do on Millionaire? And then you go, right, is that your final answer? Oh, just look, look, it's B, it's B. I'm just going to tell you because I'm bored of listening to you. We were, we were thinking he's never going to be able to do yeah. that. He'll just be so bored sitting there going, oh, come on. And he does do a bit of that, and I think he yeah. sort of harnesses his natural inclination. But at the same time, there's two things. One is that I think he's always had this semi-secret ambition to be a game show host. <laughs> I think it's he just he's, he's always so yeah. he's wanted to do, just to sort of see if he could do it a couple of times he tried to introduce sort of game show elements into Top Gear and the Grand Tour, and they were it was pretty unsuccessful. We <laughs> never broadcast them, but uh, it's always so. I think he just wants to have a crack at, and also he's just a really big fan of telly, mm. and he loves the simplicity of Millionaire. That it's just just asking someone questions, There's not really much else to it. Mm. And yet it manages to be very tense and it manages to be very human because you start rooting for the people you like and all this. And every time he films it, you know, he's come back to to he came back to the Grand Tour office and, you know, he'd be sort of bubbling with excitement. <laughs> like, oh, you've got to see it. There's this is brilliant guy. He's absolutely amazing. And I, was like, I thought he was going to, you know, he's like sort of mm-hmm. babbling with excitement. You go, it's really bizarre. I never thought you'd be so jazzed <laughs> yeah. up about But yeah, he genuinely loves doing it. And... I think what's more surprising, he's genuinely really good at it. I remember watching the first show and everyone in the office was like, Oh my god, yeah. He's done that. That's I mean that's fair play to him. <laughs> he's really good at it. Really good at it. And it's sort of yeah, he's that's the thing. He's he is just one of those people who is uh, because he's he's smart and because mm. he puts effort in, he's got, you know. A good work ethic he's not a famous in merchant he's the exact opposite which makes him quite tiring to work with sometimes because you can't ever get away with shoddiness yeah he'll, he'll spot it straight away but why is that uh, not sure you know researchers yeah. with the fear in their eyes go go oh god he's picked up on the one bit in this whole 200 page document where there's like a little bit of vague detail yeah I don't understand why uh, we'll go and check that <laughs> go now then go 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 check I want to know and you know there's that sort of he's he's very detail detailed kind of attention to detail sort of bloke and sweats the details in terms of scripts and edits Mm. and all that sort of stuff so yeah it's no surprise that he just went I'm going to put my mind to this I'm going to be the best millionaire host I can be and and then he's good at it they're doing more this year probably Shouldn't have told you that. <laughs> I don't think it's a massive secret, but they're doing, doing a load more quite soon, so yeah. Um, that's that's uh, that's Jeremy for you. He's uh, he's he's good at stuff, that's why he's on telly quite a lot. <laughs> it is not like he's just a chancer who's so turned up and been given a job, he, he works hard at it. They all do, you know, yeah. all three of them, they're there for a reason that they're, they're very good at what they do. They probably don't get enough credit for. Because people think that they're sort of cartoon idiots. Yeah. And they're good at playing those parts, but they're those three very bright blokes. Mm. Hammond gets a raw deal because he is always made to look stupid on TV. And what's (laughs) happened in recent years is that Richard has sort of achieved peace with this, realised it's going to happen, and will now just happily play the idiot. Right. But he's not a dummy at all. Yeah. Far from it. He's a very bright bloke as well. And it's just that he's sort of realised in a way that I think it took James longer to get to the point where he's just like you want me to be slightly boring and pedantic at this point don't you mm-hmm. and, you know Jeremy be going yes James that's the whole point you're being boring so that it justifies me driving over your foot or whatever and James like right okay yeah or Richard would just be like what you want me to fall down over there okay yeah I can probably do that yeah <laughs> what you want me to not understand how like scissors work and he's just happy to do it because yeah it's, it's what's required at this stage in their careers with the three of them together on the Grand Tour it's kind of again to use a band analogy they are basically the Rolling Stones just cranking out the hits in a stadium Yeah, you know that's why that again to mention that thing in, in the army training base probably didn't work for a lot of people is because they're at the stage in their careers where people are just going, just do the hits, yeah. Just do the hits. Don't 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 be smart ass with us. Just play the ones we like. <laughs> and so there's a little element of that, I think. And Richard's just like, give the people what they want. There's that. I don't know
0: if you heard it on the. because uh, you said you mentioned that you listened to Adam Buxton sometimes. But Adam Buxton said there's like a story I think about Neil Young, where he was playing a gig in London and he yeah, plays like a this. whole album. Yeah. And then goes off, and the crowd are getting increasingly sort of restless and bored. And then he comes, he goes off stage, comes back on, and says, um, Here's one you've heard before. And everyone cheers, and then he starts the whole album again from. <laughs> starts
1: like the whole thing
0: yeah.
1: Oh, right. I thought, I, th- I was thinking of a different story. <laughs> Is it a Bob Dylan story? You know, infamously, when he went electric oh, in yeah. the 60s, he in kicking Manchester, I think, wasn't it? And someone shouted Judas at him. But. <laughs> I thought there was a sort of parallel story of another artist and maybe not Neil Young, someone else where you know, someone in the audience basically shouted sort of traitor at them sort right. stormed the stage <laughs> or something. It's like, just calm down, go to the bar, take a deep breath, come back, it's okay, yeah. it's just music.
0: so there you have it richard porter my thanks to richard for taking part in the show and uh congratulations to him as he has the uh has the honor of being the first of my podcast guests to have a two-parter so um i mean you know i say congratulations probably it's not that big of a deal for a man that uh works on the kind of massive shows that he does but hey um thank you again to him and thank you for listening thank you for joining me um over this year uh for another 10 episodes um my apologies for them being so sort of sporadic in terms of how they've uh come out i i keep endeavoring to make this a more consistent affair and hopefully as the podcast continues Um, we can make sure that it is a more of a consistent affair. But thank you for sticking with me. And I hope you have enjoyed this year of podcasts. I will be back soon uh, in the new year uh, for more interesting conversations with interesting individuals. So until next time... Have a wonderful holiday season of whatever variety, denomination you choose to partake in and have a fantastic new year. And until next time, I've been James Alban and this is The Last (music) Time.